1: Welcome to Mom and Dad Are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Monday, June twelfth, the Good Enough Friends edition. I'm Zach Rosen. I make the Best Advice Show podcast, and I am dad to Noah, who's five, and Ami, who's two. We live in Detroit, Michigan.
2: I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. I write the homeschool and family travel blog, Dutch Dutch Goose. I'm the mom of three littles: Henry, who's eleven; Oliver, who's nine; and Teddy, who's six. We live in Colorado Springs, Colorado.
3: I'm Jamila Lemieux. I'm a writer and contributor to Slate's Care and Feeding Parenting column. I'm mom to Naima, who is 10, and we live in L.A.
1: Today on the show, we're going to be exploring teenage friendship and how it has or maybe hasn't changed over the years. Former mom and dad are fighting host, Dan Coyce, has a special essay he'll deliver called Good Enough Friends. After that, Jamila, Elizabeth, and I will be back with recommendations and a few more kid holidays. All of that after this quick break Okay, we're back, and I'm going to pass the mic over to Dan Coyce. I've been thinking a
4: lot about Jason and Mark. They were two teenagers at the same time I was a teenager in the suburbs of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Jason was tall and skinny. Mark was shorter, more muscular. Jason played the cello. Mark played volleyball. Somehow, during my sophomore year of high school, I fell in with Jason and Mark And Jen and Aaron, Jason B, John, Candy, this whole cohort of juniors and seniors who dominated the youth group at our Methodist church. I was welcomed into their gang, even though I couldn't even drive yet. They picked me up. They picked me up on snowy evenings to do donuts in the mall parking lot. They picked me up after work to go to the movies. They picked me up on Saturday mornings to play tackle football on the bluff overlooking Lake Michigan. (laughs) That's a thing I still can't believe I did. Can't believe no one broke a leg. I don't really think I had that much in common with Jason and Mark. I remember that they both were heavy metal guys. It was around that time that the metal band Extreme had a huge hit with that ballad, More Than Words. They found that excruciating because Extreme had been one of their favorite bands when they were intense and dark. I exclusively listened to R.E.M., a band they scoffed at. We knew one another because of church, but I have no idea how religious they were. God wasn't a thing we talked about outside of the fellowship hall, and even there we left most of the talking to the youth minister. What do I remember? I remember that Jason's mom was nice. I don't recall anything about Mark's family. It wasn't that kind of friendship, the kind where you're intimately connected and know everything about one another. We met up. We hung out, then they graduated. I basically never saw them again. I thought of Jason and Mark this past weekend, after my wife and I spent another half hour encouraging our teenagers to make some plans, get out of the house. Little came of it. Half-hearted texts receive half-hearted responses. School friends have crew practice or something else going on. No one wants to go out into the rain. Maybe they could just talk on the phone while playing video games. There's this debate going on. You've probably read about it about teenage isolation, teen loneliness, smartphones. I'm torn between not wanting to seem like a fuddy duddy and feeling real concern about how friendship works among teenagers in 2023. Yes, there are still some teens who go out with friends, hang out in basements, even throw the occasional kegger. I hear about them. But I see many, including my older daughter spending most of her time at home rather than out with peers. Even my younger daughter, who's much more willing to try to make plans, ends up by herself much more often than I ever did at that age. Look, it's silly to compare their childhoods with memories of my own. My memories are surely weighted toward fun outings, conveniently forgetting the many, many nights I must have spent at home. It's not an accident. I know so many episodes of The Simpsons by heart. And anyway, the time my kids spend in their rooms is way different than it was for me. I think of that time as wasted, but of course it is, in fact, social. It's just social in a way that doesn't make natural sense to me. It's spent texting people they met on the internet, or watching and making TikToks, or chatting in a Discord with people who love the exact same animes, or whatever. I'm forever talking to parent friends about all of this. It's our main topic of conversation, and when we do, I'm often the one making this optimistic counter-argument. When we were growing up, we were stuck with whatever kids were in our high school, whether we had anything in common with them or not. These days, the entire world of teenagers is open to you. My 18-year-old, for example, has a direct line to people who understand her experience and love the same things that she does. Could she pluck from the haystack of her high school the needle of a friend who analyzes Madica Magica rages about politics, and listens to Carly Rae Jepsen on loop? Maybe. More likely, no such needle exists. But you can find people just like that online. What a gift. And yet, the crisis in teen mental health deepens. Teens spend less and less time hanging out. A recent survey determined that 50% of teens met up with friends almost every day in the 90s. That's down to 25% today. And we parents, we try to figure it out. It's got to have something to do with smartphones, right? Is it the pressures of social media? Or maybe the problem is that society doesn't offer enough third spaces, places where kids can be out of the house, but not hassled by authorities or salespeople. Or that every kid's calendar is packed with SAT tutoring and crew practice. Oh, my God. It is wild how much time the crew team spends practicing. Really? Aren't they just rowing? Is it the pandemic? Is it climate anxiety? Grade stress? Economic panic? A car-centric world? Almost certainly, the problem is a combination of all these things in different measures for every kid. That's what most parents I know say when we discuss it, which is all the time. But mostly it's the phones, we add. As I've talked to my kids and read panicked stories about how sad high schoolers feel now, I've been thinking a lot about my small Midwestern high school and its many limitations, and its pervasive, late-80s unfriendliness toward nerdy kids, and how, nonetheless, I made it through, mostly happy, mostly unscathed. When I say I don't remember that much about Jason or Mark, I'm not trying to be rude. I'd be shocked if Jason and Mark recall more about me than I do about them. We were casual friends in the era of landlines and first-generation Macintoshes, we still found ways to spend enormous amounts of time together. I remember them now as good enough friends. My high school life was filled with such people. Rob and Tom, the other funny guys I did theater with. Lynn and Jenny, who I befriended at camp even though they lived across the city. Mark down the block, who would show up at my front door on nice days with his tennis racket. Sometimes we got jobs at the same places or visited one another at custard stands or swimming pools or the grocery store. We floated into and out of one another's lives over the four years of high school, depending on who had a boyfriend, who was going away for the summer, who had a car, whose parents had grounded them. These days, I'm reconnected to most of those good enough friends on Facebook, which feeds me good enough versions of the lives they lead. Jason works for some kind of tech company. He appears to be very into chess. He was into chess back then. If so, I had no idea. Mark's a doctor. He loves to post photos of him doing outdoorsy stuff with his family. They seem to be doing great. What I mean is, I know about as much about them now as I did then, just minus any actual in-person interaction. I wish we could hang out sometime. I'd probably pass on the tackle football. Through my life, even in high school, I've also accumulated a few great friends, the friends of my heart, the ones I make a point to see when I'm in their cities, crash in my guest room, who commit to fire pits and movie nights, those friendships can last decades. But I find that at age 48, I don't have so many of those good enough friends. Actually, I I have dozens of them. It's just that they're all on the internet. And so while our interactions are rich and funny, they're almost never in person. The internet is where I think a lot of my teenagers' friends live too, whether they're school friends who don't get together in person or discord friends who live in Italy or Minnesota or God knows where. And some of them really do seem to be the friends of their hearts, people they profess deep secrets to people who share their worldview. And I don't want to discount those friendships, which are fun, nurturing, meaningful, everything you'd want a close relationship to be in this atomized age. Yet it's striking to me how teenagers avoid navigating the awkwardness a real world connection. The New York times surveyed kids recently about this. I remember one kid said when I'm online, I can mute myself and they can't really see me. I can't just mute myself in real life. I never had that. Maybe having online friendships of the heart would have changed my high school experience, but I wonder if it would have changed for the better. I couldn't mute myself with those good enough friends. They really saw me. I had to learn to deal with them and their extreme fandom. They had to learn to deal with me, my fussiness, my nerdiness. That was the bargain we made, to have people to hang out with. I wonder what version of childhood offers more happiness. The one spent with perfect friends whom you never see, or the one spent with good enough friends who, as I was, are up for whatever.
1: Again, that was Dan Coyce and his essay, which was originally published on Slate's website. It's called Good Enough Friends, and we'll link to it in the show notes. Well, that was lovely. What did you two think of that?
3: I definitely can relate. I've cycled Mm -hmm. through a lot of Good Enough Friends throughout my life, people who, you know, we bonded, we had our time together, but we weren't necessarily joined in a lifelong friendship. And I think of them fondly, and the time that we spent, um... But to his bigger issue, which is, you know, his children preferring to be alone in the house on social media as opposed to hanging out with their friends in real life. It's definitely a concern for me, you know, and something I'm already monitoring with Naima, even Mm. though she's at the age where I'm, you know, in control of her social schedule. She just doesn't come up with a lot of play dates, you know, like... She says she wants more, but, you know, she's never saying like, hey, can so-and-so and and I hang out? You know what I mean? So it's up to me. And I think, you know, while she's still young enough for me to do this, something I really want to do is set up more play dates for her this summer. You know, I've been asking parents when I see them like, hey, let's get the girls together this summer, you know, like trying to put it out there and hopefully they'll respond favorably when the time comes to actually schedule something. Um so I think for those of us who have younger children, we should think proactively about getting our kids together in person, offline with their mm-hmm. friends. I mean, I can only imagine how much harder it is when you have older kids, you know, you can't call somebody's mom up and say let's get the kids together, you know, but I think it is good to encourage them as much as you can, you know, and hopefully you'll win that battle sometimes, you know, like they do have these other, these very different lives than we did when we were young, you know, they do have the ability to connect with people who share their interests and maybe would be their BFFs if they were in the same location, you know, and there is value in that. But I think that we should still aspire to have some balance for our kids.
2: Yeah, I hear you saying like set up the culture now of these in-person meetups and in hope mm-hmm. that that sticks i think the tragic part for me of hearing this is this idea of like but what what is the way forward right because phones and devices are a are a part of our lives yeah. and i don't think that's going anywhere like, even if I hold off my kids from having them, that doesn't stop <laughs> other people from having them or the eventual necessity of, of having to give them to them for communication reasons, like, all of that. So I can't take that away. Um, and Jamila, like you said, as they get older, like, we can't force them to go places, particularly, like, if you want to get out of house and do something, you have to find someone else who can, can do that, right?
1: Yeah, I mean... How much do you think it's based on, like, how much we are having playdates with our friends? Like, do you think that modeling it will make an impact?
3: I think so, you know? And I thought about that a couple minutes ago. Like, I don't have a ton of friends in L.A. Naima knows that I go on a lot of date dates, you know? And that that's kind of become my social activity, so I can have something to do. But it is still, you know, she's aware that on the nights when she's not with me, I do often go out and see a person. You right. know that I'm not place. spending yeah. my in a yeah. place like I'm not yeah. just spending all my time on the phone.
1: Yeah,
2: I was going to ask like how often you're. It feels like you do a lot of family and friend stuff. Like we are with other people, <laughs> Jeff and I like as much as possible. Like yeah, that's uh, too in having people in the backyards, having people over, having them have friends over, us being somewhere else. Like it it that is kind of a hallmark, and even the way we homeschool is so much about. Mm-hmm how can we be social with as many other people as possible yeah um
1: no we're like it that too
2: foreign yeah
1: yeah what were you two like in high school we got a sense of dan who were you guys
3: i was somewhat of a i don't want to say weirdo I was like popular adjacent, you know, Mm -hmm. like a lot Mm -hmm. of my friends were popular. People knew me, but I was kind of left of center. I would do things like stand up in the lunchroom and like read feminist books, you know, try to get my friends on board. Like out loud? Yes. I love that. Like, I remember one of my friends distinctly telling me to (laughs) shut the fuck (laughs) up, you know, like, I um I was very outspoken and passionate about race and gender. So some foreshadowings to who I would become, I suppose. Yeah. I loved spending time with my friends. You know, I never wanted to be in the house. I was always the one like, and I didn't drive. So I was always, you know, at the mercy of my friends who had access to cars. And I was the, always the one who didn't want to go home at the end of the night. You know, I was like, what's yeah. next? What else? What else can we do? What yeah. else can we do? You know,
1: what were you doing?
3: What were we like, doing? What, what
1: were the third places that uh, Dan, as Dan describes them that you were hanging out on?
3: I think so our biggest third place was this restaurant called Cafe Florian. There was this really cute boy who worked there. He passed well, he died pretty Mm. tragically um just this really great nice guy named tumble and it was a restaurant they had good desserts i would often order dessert as my entree because that's what you can do when you're out without your parents
1: 100 percent.
3: you know um i think restaurants for us were the big third place you know we couldn't go to bars yet we couldn't go to clubs there were some teen parties you know we definitely went to those as well but we ate out a lot
1: yeah
2: did you go out in, like, a big group? Like, you felt like you had a pretty, like, significant group that you kind of hung out with? or
3: Our extended group was bigger, but it was about, I'd say, like, the average outing would probably be, like, four of us, hmm. you know? Um, I was in a group of maybe about five or six girls and a couple of, you know, other people. There was, like, a boy group that was adjacent to us that we yeah. would sometimes hang out with. Yeah, I'm sure there were probably some bigger outings, but usually it would be a good, you know, three or four of us.
2: Yeah, I went to a smaller high school, but I feel like I was pretty much fundamentally the same person. Like, I had a group. I was with my friends all the time. I was lucky that um, my house was a lot of times the house we were hanging out at, but we also had, you know, a couple other homes that we would go to and sort of this same group of people we spent a lot of time at this will surprise no one school events (laughs) like you know the people we hung out with did a lot of school things and because we were a small school like it was not uncommon for us all to go to the soccer game and then all to go to you know um the performing arts whatever they were doing and I was a big uh debater in high school and traveled with them and a lot of my friends were kind of in that you know circle doing those things. So we hung out like at school a lot in people's homes. But I, I just have always had a lot of good enough friends and one or two really good friends. And my one or two high school good friends are still, you know, some of my best friends. The reason we will go back to Atlanta, in addition to my parents, you know, before we leave, is because my two best friends are there. And the idea of, you know, leaving without having kind of this one last like the kids in Atlanta with my best friends seems um, like untenable like I just couldn't I couldn't leave without letting them kind of love on my kids as well yeah Um, Mm -hmm. but so I related to Dan's you know I also picked up friends from camps and different things that I went to many of whom are still kind of tangentially in my life thanks to social media Mm -hmm. Um, but I think one of the things that and this is true of both Jeff and I and I think Jeff has really been the one to bring it out of me is that uh people refer to us as like sticky if we like met you and we're passing through (laughs) to be almost like yeah i had to meet her at the public library (laughs) we're likely to be like please meet up with us Yeah. yeah zach what about you what was your um high school friendships like
1: well i've talked about this group of guy friends who i've had since kindergarten we were still very close in high school and remain close today so that was my my primary group but then i had like a crew from camp that i spent a lot of time with i was on the tennis team I spent a lot of time with them a handful of us would this is a terrible thing but i'm gonna admit it we'd get high that's not the terrible thing we'd smoke a lot of weed and then we would go garbage tipping what a terrible thing do you know what garbage tipping is i mean you can imagine I, right i do not but i oh. imagine you tipped so,
2: garbage cans yeah,
1: you go over you go uh, <laughs> you go out on garbage night to a. Uh, to a quiet neighborhood and like pick up a garbage can, like hold it out the window and then like launch it at a mailbox or something. Oh no! To this day, some <laughs> of the, I, I, that's to this day, it remains one of the things I'm most ashamed of, but boy, oh boy, as a, as a 15 or 16 year old with nothing to do. Oh, it was a rush. It was fun. That was, that was real fun in suburban Detroit. Uh, I am very sorry. And I am uh, still atoning for those sins, but Man, oh man. That was fun. And we saw a lot of movies. We saw a lot of movies.
2: We also saw a lot of movies. I guess we were just As you say that I'm like, I think we were at the movie theater a lot.
1: Yeah, it used to be $7 to see yeah, a movie. Yeah, I going to say they
2: weren't $25 a ticket or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Reserve in advance, pay, you know. You just showed up. We saw everything. I mean, even shitty
1: movies, ticket. right? Like a lot of shitty oh, movies. Terrible movies. Ugh. Um, but boy, yeah. Um, I definitely have nostalgia for that time. But also my parents were going through a divorce, so I wasn't I wasn't at my best then either. I'm 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 glad to have come out on the other side of that um and not gotten arrested for garbage tipping.
2: I guess that was the question, will the kids survive this version of their friendship the same way, you know we survived it in the same way that the generation before us survived it and before cars, you know. Gosh.
1: I don't have an answer <laughs> for that one. Sorry, um, we
3: can't fix this one.
1: But uh, thanks, Dan Koyce, again for for that essay. And uh, we're going to take another quick break. And we'll be back in a second with recommendations.
0: This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer.
4: As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you.
0: Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com.
1: Okay, recommendations. Elizabeth, you got a gaggle of stuff.
0: I am
2: recommending one of my favorite things about summer brings back lots of nostalgia, summer reading. And you guys, the summer reading programs this year are amazing. I'm just going to name a few. We will link to it. You can do Book It this summer. You can sign your kids up for Pizza Hut Book It. They can uh, read and earn their personal pan pizzas. Go do it. It makes you happy too, because it brings back all of those great feelings of getting to eat pizza for books. Uh, Barnes and Noble has a wonderful um, summer program. You can print your chart online or pick it up and you get to pick out a book. They have a selection, but the selection of books that you get if you finish the summer reading are excellent. My kids love getting to go into a bookstore and I'll get a brand new book from a bookstore. It's just kind of a fun thing. Everyday Reading is a blog that I just love. She puts out summer reading charts every year. I like to print them on the architectural prints so they're huge this year of course that doesn't work for me so I just printed it on a little sheet they're kind of like coloring in summer reading I love it because you can use it for any age right like you can be reading um, one little picture book and coloring it in my kids like to finish the picture she has this year's theme I think is like camping but she has a bunch you can print them from any year um, Scholastic Online has online reading they have made basically their entire digital collection available for free over the summer you just sign up you go on They have games and stuff too, but my kids love to be able to read those books that I didn't purchase for them at the Scholastic Book Fair, but they really wanted to see they can read them online this summer. Um, And finally, if you have a um, half price books near you, you can actually do this even if you don't because most of their stuff is online, but the real value here are their reading lists. They have beautiful reading lists that um, have a whole bunch of books that you as parents probably didn't know about, but in my experience have been Really, really great. So check out those summer reading programs, and uh, I just think it's such a good way. I remember just with so much fondness, like being rewarded for something I already really liked doing, uh, and also like encouraging me to read some new stuff um, and get get a free book. Who doesn't love getting a free book?
1: Great, great. Jamila,
2: I am recommending The Simpsons.
1: (laughs) What's that? I
3: think many of us have gone through Simpsons periods of our lives. It was probably for you guys, probably when you were children, because um, it's been on that long. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I feel like I end up revisiting it every few years. And I have mm. to say, I'm surprised, not surprised, but delighted to see that they're still making really great episodes. You the know? new ones are good? The new ones are good. Wow. Um, and Naima enjoys it. You know, she's old enough for The Simpsons that's, now. That's cool and we get to watch it together it's something she often requests to watch so give the simpsons another spin if you haven't seen it in many times i think they're on like season 36 or something like that
1: is it still on fox on prime time
3: it's still on fox it's still in prime time i think it wow. comes on sunday evenings but uh-huh. it streams on hulu uh-huh and do they
1: have all the seasons on hulu
3: i think they have all the seasons
1: wow cool I'm going to recommend a very simple recipe that I made last night. This is a very cheap, very tasty dinner. Get yourself some tortillas, flour or corn, and uh, some mushrooms. Any kind of mushrooms will do. I mean, you can get like a, a whole big thing of like Baby Bella. Oyster mushrooms would be good. Portobello would be really nice, but just um, saute them with some onions and peppers and garlic and like really like spend like 20 minutes and cook, cook it all down to where everything is brown and small. You can um, maybe add a little balsamic vinaigrette to deglaze the pan a bit. I like the Goya MSG uh, seasoning. I think that makes everything better. And If you have a gas burner, you can char the tortillas a little bit, like just straight on the, straight on the flame, you know, with some tongs, melt some cheese on there and you have some really tasty, simple mushroom tacos. Sounds yummy. Really good. I I was excited about that. I've been feeling kind of somewhat uninspired in the kitchen and just, uh, I made those last night and kind of got reinvigorated. Uh, and I, we're going to link to a similar recipe from uh, New York Times called Crispy Mushroom Tacos, um, that they basically get the gist of it there. But I mean, theirs are a little bit nicer. They add some avocado and cilantro, which I would recommend if you have on hand, but you don't necessarily need them. Uh, finally, a week or so ago, I talked about Noah's new holiday. She invented one. We celebrated it for the first time this spring. It's called Silly Baby, where you spend extra time with family, and there's an annual theme, and this year's was lasagna. We got a letter from a listener who celebrates two special kid holidays.
0: Dear mom and dad, my family celebrates two made up holidays. thank a a combination of Halloween and Thanksgiving. We're Canadian. So the two holidays are closer together than the States. We caught pumpkins and sometimes eat spooky food. It made it a lot easier to schedule between siblings and spouses since we weren't so locked into having a holiday on the designated day. And then dragon seek. All right. So this is the big one. Several years ago, one of my nieces, at four or five, decided that she would no longer participate in holiday events that involved lying to kids. Her two targets? Santa and the Easter Bunny. Santa was surprisingly easy to give up, but the Easter Bunny? Bunnies don't lay eggs. Bunnies don't deliver chocolate. As a secular family, losing the bunny part of Easter made it a challenge to figure out how to make the day special. Grandma and Grandpa, both retired teachers, came up with a clever solution. We can all agree that dragons are pretend. Dragons lay eggs. Dragons have treasure. Dragons give out quests. Now, instead of an Easter egg hunt, we do a dragon-seek quest. Riddles are hidden in plastic eggs, and the kids have to solve puzzles to get the treasure. The kids and adults acknowledge that it's all pretend which helps eliminate the lying-to-kids problem. Like Thankoween, Dragon Seek occurs around Easter but isn't locked onto a particular day. Not needing to celebrate on the day has been so healthy for us as a family. It really helps remove a lot of pressure. My husband is Jewish, and Easter can be a bit complicated. I'm very excited to be able to celebrate a springtime tradition with our little one that's without the religious pressure of Easter. Glad to hear about the new Silly Baby holiday and hoping it adds to ours. Love the show.
1: Yeah, I love that idea of, because a lot of people like, you know, they're working on Christmas or, you know, they're out of town on New Year's. I like the idea of taking control back and saying, you know what? No, we are going to celebrate this holiday on this day or in this case. Yeah, this is gonna, a very practical. A, a I holiday. like this.
2: New holiday for practical reasons.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank a ween and dragon seek. Very clever. Very fun. Uh, good Anya, thanks for sharing.
3: Zach, when is silly baby so I can mark it in my calendar?:
1: We are calling it the Sunday before Mother's Day. Okay. But like this but like this listener, you should feel free to make it whenever you want. Whatever is easiest for your family. And that's it for our show. Please subscribe, leave us a rating or review at Apple and Spotify, and tell your friends. This episode of Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Rosemary Belson and Maura Curry. Shasha Leonard is the voice of our listeners. Alicia Montgomery is VP of Slate Audio. For Dan Coyce, Jamil Lemieux, and Elizabeth Newcamp, I'm Zach Rosen. Thank you for listening.
0: It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash.